Blog Talk Radio. Welcome in to Cast Talk Wednesday. Benny Hardy, Terry Brown. Wednesday eating is here again. Got another fun show for everybody. Appreciate everybody taking the time to tune in now or via the podcast when that's up and running shortly. How's everything with you, TB? Uh, to paraphrase the great, great Diana Ross, we are suffering from a derby hangover here in uh, in Louisville. I know we're going to dive into that a little bit, but as the city of Louisville gets back to its regular programming, uh, uh, another great weekend of racing. Again, I know we're going to touch on that, NBA playoffs and all that, but uh, but I'm doing good. I really didn't think it was a, a lot to talk about about the Derby. It's just kind of one of the most, you know, blase, blase, nothing to see here Derbies ever, and I'm, I'm moving on to the Preakness. I think that's what everybody was doing <laughs> Man, uh, I, I know we're going to get into it, but uh, when you see something that you haven't seen in 145 years, that's that's pretty amazing stuff. So I know we're going to get into that, uh, all kinds of Kentucky stuff to talk about as well. So, uh, yeah, it's still still the buzz around town, still talking about the Derby. Absolutely. Yeah. Anybody else, feel free to join in. As always, our number is 845-277-9373. Follow us on the Facebook page, at Cats Talk Wednesday, Cats Talk W-E-D. Same thing on Twitter, Cats Talk W-E-D. Got the Facebook Live up and running. I'm going to put the link up so y'all can hear the full show. You just won't hear me. I see some comments popping up in Facebook Live already. So appreciate that. And uh, like you said, we got NBA Playoffs. We got former cats doing their thing in the NBA. We got a four, we got a current cat making history in Kentucky softball. Kentucky baseball ain't quite dead yet, TV, and uh, all that and a lot more. And look, Paul Pierce is yep. at it again. We got we got to get to that. <laughs> and uh, there's there's also some slander that might affect you personally. Everybody that listens to this show knows you like Jerry Rice. Everybody that listens to this show knows you're a big Lakers fan. There's all kind of head-scratching debates going on as far as that's concerned, and I'm sure you might have a thought or two. Uh, my Rockets are going to game five tonight. Yes, Corey Thompson, because I'm a Rockets fan, been a Rockets fan since pre-Rockets titles in the 90s, about 93, been a Rockets fan all the way. So, whether they do it or not, I'm I'm riding with them like I always do. Um, but yeah, TP, let's go ahead and get on into this Derby Saturday Churchill Downs. Like you said, a disqualification never before seen, 145 years. 
an incredible delay, a long review, <clears throat> one horse and derby and ownership group, and everybody thinks they won, and that's not the case. It was given to another group. The buzz is still there, like you said, so let's just dive on in. And, and there's different opinions. It's, it's the most polarizing derby ever, and I don't think there's any debate <laughs> as far as that's concerned. Yeah, well, the the whole thing about the, the derby, uh, the girls now, we laid low. We actually saw in-game again Saturday afternoon before the derby, and then we watched the race. So uh, <laughs> that's what we did during the race. Uh, but number one, it's rained for like three or four straight derbies, uh, which is a little bizarre. And I think that added to what we saw on Saturday. Uh, of course, uh, Country House is the winner. A uh, little bit of controversy there. I, I'm not going to pretend. Uh, I think we talked about this last week, where every Louisvillian becomes uh, an expert on the Derby around the two weeks leading up to the Derby, uh, an expert on horse racing. But I'm not going to pretend to understand. Uh, the problem is is twofold. Number one, the problem is. Uh, there's there's too many horses, and I forget which article I read. Uh, I think it was in the Herald Leader, maybe that was championing of of uh, shrinking the field a little bit. And I think that's definitely something you have to look into when you've got 19, 20 horses using that auxiliary gate. You're you're going to have bumping at the beginning. That's kind of been a given the last 10 or 12 derbies. Uh, but now we're seeing friction uh, in the race itself. So you have a bunch of horses running at 40 miles an hour. You know, this is probably the biggest field any of these horses will ever be in. You've got a wet track because it had stopped raining maybe, maybe, you know, 15, 20 minutes before the derby. So it was a it, – the uh, the Downs had the track listed fast all the way – almost all the way up to the call to post, which I thought was a peculiar yeah. kind of situation. But you've got horses in a big field on a horrendous track. I mean, they're, they're standing water, and I, and I think that's a little that's a little much. And you always have horses on that on that turn for home. I told the girls, uh, you know, we we've gone to the Derby Museum. We we've, we've seen the videos and, and all this. And every jockey, from Willie Shoemaker to Calvin Burrell to uh, Pat Day to Mike Smith, talks talks about when they when they turn for home. And you turn where you're kind of looking at nothing and then you make the big turn and the horse sees the grandstand and the, mm-hmm. the attendance was 150,000 people. So there's a roar of the crowd. It's a sloppy track. It's, it's, it's lights off the standing water. It's a recipe for disaster. Now I'm not going to say that a jockey should have done X, Y, and Z. I don't know. You know, I'm not going to pretend to know. But what the stewards saw uh, was, oh, who was that horse? 
You got me. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Um, more wheels, oh, long range toddy. Uh, uh, that that swerved out, and they determined it was dangerous. If you look, oh, well, maximum maximum security. Maximum security. security. There you go. Draw the blank. That's what happens when you get old. <laughs> but <laughs> we, we were inches. If you watch the replay, and they've got multiple angles, we were inches to having. A horrendous derby. Like like having this decision is bad, I, I think. And the length of time it took the stewards to get it, I get all that. But if we get mm-hmm. three or four horses that go down on that back stretch and they have to put horses down, that that's something I don't know if you can come back from. You know, we can call this a black eye. This decision, but it would have been a whole lot worse if we had a pile of horses and jockeys in the home stretch. So um, I'm not going to weigh in on if it was the right call or not. Uh, I watched it with Mama B, and we talked about we had seen uh, derbies where it gets physical, it gets close, it gets tight. Again, on that home stretch, when they turn for home, it's almost hey, if you ain't Rubbing is racing or however that goes in NASCAR, that's what you get. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, they let a lot of things go, but I don't think you can let something go when it's that when it's that dramatic because it could have been really really dangerous. And I can I can see why they did it for sure. And you kept hearing, you know, on the broadcast, you know, NBC had the covers like they do every year. You kept uh, hearing Randy Moss and Jay Bailey, by the letter of the law, probably deserves to maybe be a disqualification. You got the feeling that, that they didn't think it was going to be overturned. In the moments and minutes that kept building up and leading up to it, you kind of got the feeling they didn't think that was going to be the case. Um, I get why they did it, but I also, like you said, the whole rubbing is racing and bumping and, and that kind of thing. Before the race started, they referenced that it was the 10-year anniversary of the race that Calvin Burrell won on, on Mindette Bird, where he kind of weaved through everybody and got to the rail and, and ended up winning the race. At the start of that race, and he wasn't even in the auxiliary gate, so I guess that there's maybe too many horses. He was in the regular normal gate, and he gets smashed on both sides coming out of the gate and drops all the way to last. And my question was, if he hadn't won that race, would he have, you know, made an inquiry like we saw? Would he have questioned it? Would he have appealed it or challenged the outcome? He ended up winning the race, and, you know, all is well. But, you know, you mentioned it. You you have bumping. You have banging. You had a horse in the crowd as it makes the turn. And as much as these jockeys prepare and are on top of everything and go over every scenario that can possibly happen, at the end of the day, it's still, it's still a horse. It's not a machine. It is, you 
you know, there still can be some unpredictable movements. I don't think uh, Saez, the jockey of maximum security, veered over there on purpose. And, you look, I'm a casual fan, too. You make the NASCAR analogy. If you're not bumping and, and holding your ground and keeping everybody behind you as the race gets down to money time, then, you know, everybody's like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you blocking? That's not the etiquette in horse racing, but I don't think he did that intentionally. You mentioned the crowd. There's also the thought that he got spooked by a puddle. There's also maybe a photographer that wasn't supposed to be there. And he saw all those things that made him kind of get away from the rail. You just can't predict that. He's not a machine. In NASCAR, you do have machines, and you can control them. But if an engine's going to blow, you know, you still can't even control that. So the, you can't control every single thing. Uh, listen to our guy, Cameron Mills. He had a former jockey on and mentioning things that jockey shouldn't, shouldn't do. She pointed out that the jockey was hitting the horse with the whip with his left hand on the left side. So the natural reaction might be for the horse to veer to the right. Now, if he's doing that, that's kind of a no-no, kind of like dribbling up the court, trying to dribble left with your right hand. You're asking to get the ball stolen from you. You know, carrying a football down the sideline, the left sideline with your right hand, you have to get it stripped. So if that's the case, and he, you know, he should have been hitting it with the right hand to kind of make him stay in line with the rear. All kind of things happen. I can see why they did it, but I, I still don't think it was intentional. Um, but it, it was controversial to say the least. Um, my thing, though, <laughs> and it's not going to happen is say maximum security had gone on to win the Preakness and the Belmont. It's not going to happen because it's, you know, unless something changes, it's not going to be racing, which I think they should. Uh, Country House isn't even going to be racing in the next races. If I'm all these people, Omaha Beach is out, who was the favorite to win everything. Jump on in there. Especially from Country House, when I'm up there in the winter circle and the derby saying, eh, kind of hate to back into it. Well, the next time we're going to have to, quote, prove ourselves, it was awkward. They kind of felt bad for even winning. So the next chance you get to prove yourself is at the Preakness. So I'm like, racing the Preakness. They're saying that the horse is sick. So if that is the case, you got to do what's right for the horse. They're sensing a cough coming or, or something like that. I hope it's going to sound bad. I hope he really is sick. I hope they're not just ducking the Preakness because they know they're not really a strong contender to win. And then, they, you know, go out and get beat down in the next race. And then, well, then your your derby win looks even flicker than it already is. So it's just so much happening. And like you said, I can. It's no wonder Lou was still talking about it. Everybody can feel it. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a big deal. Uh, I, I think that that they're going to have to look up their protocols. They're going to have to change some things up. Uh, I don't know if that's uh, in the Washington Post that talked about moving. You know, taking the weather into account. I think the first step is they've got to limit the number of horses and keep the field more open. I think that's kind of a step they have to look at. 
uh, I just think what we saw Saturday was a perfect storm of a lot of things going wonky to give us the result that we got. Yeah. And, and but I was sure it'd be, and if I'm maximum security, I'm definitely racing the Preakness. If, you know, I was the favorite to win the Derby after Omaha Beach was out. Everybody saw me be the best horse on the track. You talked about how rainy it was. Maximum security didn't have a speck of dirt on it because he led wire to wire. Everybody else was muddy and gummed up and, and gunky, and that horse looked like, you know, just as clean as he was when he came out the stable. So I would definitely be racing the Preakness. Say he wins the Preakness, say, and the Belmont. Then, you know, like you like to say, stunt on them, stunt on all of them, and be like, this is the reason. I, I don't have a triple crown because of this steward's ruling. When everybody knows I was the best horse over this, you know, triple crown month, triple crown six weeks worth of racing. Um, that's just me. Uh, as of now, they're not going to, but I sure wish they would. Jump on in there and head to Baltimore and then head on up to Belmont Park after that. Uh-oh. Lost TB, so we'll get him back on the line here in just a second. Let y'all know about the sponsor for the show, Smoky Mountain Trader, number one red reader in the tri-state area, East Tennessee, Southwest Virginia, Southeast Kentucky. You can check them out online and in print. If you have an item that you want to list, you have items that you want to purchase, you want to trade, Smoky Mountain Trader, 5063 Suite 1, West Andrew Johnson Highway, Morristown, Tennessee, 423-587-1700. Lynn Earls is the main man to talk to. Uh, you can get online on the website, www.dsmtrainer.com, whether it's graphics, whether it's advertising, uh, classifieds, anything of that nature that you uh, have something that you want to get seen and purchased, you have things that you're looking for, the Smoky Mountain Trader can take care of all of those needs that you may have. 12 counties in Tennessee, Bell County, Kentucky, Lee County, Virginia, they cover that entire tri-state area, got it all locked down for you. So check out the Smoky Mountain Trader. We appreciate them supporting and sponsoring the show each and every week. So take us a quick break right now. This is Cats Talk Wednesday. 845-277-9373. Give us a call. We'll talk some Derby. We'll talk some UK. we got NBA playoffs coming up. All kinds of stuff to get to. Appreciate y'all going along with us. And stay right with us right now. We'll take a quick, quick break and be right back with more of the show.
We are back. Catch up Wednesday. Vinny Hardy, Cherry TV Brand. Give us a call. Tweet at us at Cats Talk Wednesday. Got a couple tweets coming in from some wonderful listeners. Michelle is said she's listening to her Wednesday Night Boys hashtag back from vacation. She tweeted us yesterday because you know how you know how it happens on vacation. You don't have to worry about what day it is, so you, you know, kind of get mixed up on what day it is. She thought yesterday was Wednesday. She was ready to tune into the show, and it was Tuesday. So back from vacation and listening to us today. So we appreciate that, Michelle. Always a good follow at BBN underscore Wildcats underscore. Our main man, Aaron Huffs, uh, Said he thought you went on vacation mid-show where you dropped the call there. So uh, Aaron got jokes messing with you. Forty-nine on forty-nine of crime. So you know that's that's always cool to see. <laughs> I'm back. It's no technical um, difficulty, but I'm back. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. And 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 speaking of, you know, we I saw you throwing your little shade. When when favorite Big Blue Michelle Brown uh, tweeted out, you know that she had found some Cowboys games on VHS. I saw you shoot your joke that you always always do about you knew those games would be on VHS when the Super Bowl games and, and playoff wins and and things of that nature. So uh, I had to fire back and I had it locked and loaded for a while. It's a little bit blurry, but it was a picture of Charles Haley absolutely knocking the crap out of Steve Young, and uh, the picture was in AT&T Stadium, went and took a tour of it down there a few years ago, um, and definitely had to get a picture of that. I was I was a little hasty and shot it and got it fuzzy, but it was still good enough and clear enough for you to see Steve Young on the ground, on his tush, on his backside, looking up at Charles Haley after just being sacked by Mr. Haley, so I, I had, to, had to hit you back with that after you was throwing some VHS shade out there again. I don't even know if I was showing throwing shade. It just confirmed what I knew to be true, but I understand. I understand. Oh, okay. I got you. I got you. <laughs> I got you. This this is going to go on forever. They do play in the preseason this year. Um, so even though it's preseason, we'll, we'll definitely be keeping tabs on that, keeping our eyes on that once the summertime gets here. We had, uh, as mentioned, we had some Kentucky softball history made the other day, TV. Uh, Abby Cheek, first U.K. softball player to win the SEC Player of the Year. Cats 14-10 in the conference, 32-21 overall. They are solid right now, uh, fourth in the conference. Alabama is 50-6 and in two of those six losses, came courtesy. Uh, Coach Lawson and UK softball team. So uh, a third of Alabama's losses came courtesy of Kentucky. Congratulations to Abby Cheek. First time in the 22-year history of the program that a Kentucky softball player has won the SEC Player of the Year. And according to our good friend, Corey Price, who we've had on the show not too long ago, since uh, the 2011-12 season, Kentucky has had SEC 
player of the year in baseball, men's basketball. I think that's kind of obvious there. But baseball, men's and women's basketball, women's cross country, football, women's soccer, softball, women's swimming and diving, men's tennis, men's outdoor track and field, and volleyball. And we also had a men's soccer player of the year, but men's soccer is in Conference USA. So long story short, as you and I have said, it's not just men's basketball. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Congratulations to Abby Cheek. And it's definitely been a, a, a down year, rebuilding year, a year of getting a lot of new players acclimated to college baseball for Coach Minjone and the baseball team. Um, they got a big win over Indiana yesterday in the midweek, mid-week game. Uh, Indiana leads the nation in home runs. I believe they're just one of those uh, feast or famine type offenses and love to make contact and, you know, live and die by the bomb. Kentucky beat them five to two. Um, Got a um, big series. Got to see where they're going. Um, got another series coming up where they're, they're not dead is basically what I'm saying when it comes to the SEC, where it looked like, you know, didn't have a chance to make the SEC tournament. Now they're still in the mix. Got a big series at South Carolina. That's where they are this weekend. Three games down there. And maybe they can work their way into still getting a spot to qualify for the tournament, which would be quite an accomplishment considering what a rebuilding year uh, it has been. Right. It, it, and so this is going to be uh, – this has been a good run for, for uh, both softball and, and baseball. So the, the both cats, both sets of bat cats still have lots of, uh, lots of life left. It, it ain't over yet. And they, they kind of remind you of, you know, we see it in the NFL all the time, you know, worst to first type teams that are bottom of the division one year and then jump up and make the playoffs the next year, win a division, get a wild card, something like that. And, you know, you'll see them kind of starting to figure it out towards, you know, week 13, 14, 15. They'll lose their last two or three games by a combined 12 points or have the lead going into the fourth quarter and five of their last six games. Kentucky baseball has kind of been like that. They've, they've had some leads against some good teams, uh, haven't been able to hold on to them, had some errors at the wrong time. It's all about kind of cutting their teeth, uh, and next year will kind of shape up when you get all these guys back to where they can get on over the hump. Uh, learning from some of these bumps and bruises that they've taken this year, but they'll kind of be galvanized next year and, and will be able to take that step. You know, after going through what they went through this past season. Yeah, you, you, you take that and you build on it. We've seen that in, in every program. Uh, there's ebbs and flows, and uh, if you can learn a little bit and win a little bit, I think that propels you toward toward next season. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, look, we're not huge recruiting guys, but there's – a lot of Yahtzees that have still been popping on the football side. Uh, a big lineman, John Young, from right there in Louisville, is coming to Kentucky. Bo Allen, the quarterback 
from Lexington is coming to Kentucky. Andrew Phillips, who was basically in-state, moved to South Carolina, uh, but kind of grew up in Kentucky, has committed the DB who was out there jumping over cars. Uh, rumor is there's a lot more Yahtzees coming down the pipe. Uh, we'll have a recruiting guy. Got him penciled in to talk about it next year, one who covers it more than we do and stays up on it more than we do and reads the tea leaves more than we do. Same thing on the basketball side. You're, you're hearing rumors and rumblings. And even though we don't keep up with it, we, we hear the Johnny Juzang. We hear the Jaden McDaniels that, you know, and we know that Cal isn't done as far as how this roster will look next year. So lots of stuff. This summer is slow. Uh, not as much going on, but we're still staying moving and shaking happen. And um, this time next week, might be some more new cats that have decided to become new cats. Yeah, you know, I'm going to get excited once they get on campus. You know, that's that's been my whole mantra. Uh, you know, uh, whatever the sport is, I'm glad that, that football is using that momentum uh, from the draft, from the great season. Uh you know, they were recruiting real well on a promise. Now they've actually got a, a little bit of credibility there as well. So you have to feel uh, good about their chances of, of, of continuing that momentum. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's go ahead and jump to the movie real quick. You said you saw it again. I've seen you tweeting about it. I've seen the big discussions and uh, – all up in it, and I listened to the camera them Sunday, and they were breaking it all down. Um, just as good the second time around, or little tidbits that you didn't see, or, or how was it checking it all out again? Avengers Endgame. Uh, well, we 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 wanted to see it again uh, because when we saw it the first time, we were sitting closer than we usually sit, so we were kind of up on the screen, so we sat back a little bit to take it all in just as good, just as impactful as the, as the first go round. And, um, you know, I know no film is perfect, but this one is, is pretty close to it. Uh, what I have been saying is it's a reward for those folks that have seen all the movies and the TV show. Uh, the girls and I, we watched agent Peggy, Peggy Carter. We caught up, caught up with that on Hulu those two seasons we've watched through season five of agents of shield. So there are a lot of Easter eggs, a lot of things on there to catch or in the movie to catch that I'm glad we were able to, to do. Um, and we talked about, we're going to go again, you know, before it's out of the theater, go back and, and take it all in just because the, the scope of the film, uh, the, there's just so much there to kind of process. You don't know where to, your eyes should be looking. So we enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Uh, definitely going to go back uh, again. Cool, cool, cool. That is good. Um, I'm glad everybody's enjoying it. and glad that it's living up to the hype that everybody's kind of had for it. A lot of times that doesn't happen. Like you said, it's not perfect, but it's right there exceeding expectations and it's making me want to go watch it a third time and that's means that they did a great job of presenting it to 
all their fans for sure. And, 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 you know, my thing is, even though if I don't agree with all the choices that were made on how they kind of finished up some storylines, I can understand why they did it. To me, it, to me, it made sense. Uh, you know, a lot of times um, what happens is, uh, you know, that, that, that last part of the story just doesn't live up to the hype. It just doesn't deliver it. You know, I, you know, growing up, a big Star Wars fan, love Return of the Jedi, but, you know, in retrospect, the Ewoks kind of killed the story. You know, you've had Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, this this big galactic power struggle, and now you've got the, the Empire being dismantled by some, some teddy bears. So it loses a little something. <laughs> uh, the Matrix, uh, the Matrix series. I still think the last two are good, but I think the Matrix kind of lost its way. Um, but for what Endgame had to do, and this wasn't just a trilogy, this was an ending point for 21 other franchise uh, uh, films. That's pretty amazing. And, and what I have done, what we have done, uh, the girls and I, we've watched some of those older movies in between viewings of Endgame, and you're like, oh, my goodness. A lot of the stuff that shows up in Endgame, they set the table for. Marvel did way back, way back when. So I think I said this last week, for, for them to be able to walk that high wire for 10 years and 20 films uh, is nothing short of amazing. Like, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, what have you, if, if I had explained to you what Marvel was trying to do, it, it, it's insanity. It, it's absolutely insanity what they kind of ask people to do, but the payoff is well worth it. Cool, cool, cool. Switching gears, man, I've seen, you probably already saw it, uh, a Woj bomb that negotiations between your Los Angeles Lakers and Ty Lu have reached an impasse without a deal to make him the franchise's next head coach. Lead sources tell ESPN. What say you, Terry, playoffs, Lakers, purple and gold brands? Uh, man, I, I tell you, uh, the Lakers are just dysfunctional. I mean, there's no other way around it. Um, I just, it's, it's a weird dynamic having LeBron on the team. We we because we we've seen superstars obviously in this league. There have been great great players, but the key is you have to find somebody that LeBron is going to take coaching from, and I think that short list is Ty Lue, you know, and I think the Lakers are kind of dropping the ball. It's it's like with Anthony Davis; they're all in on Ty Lue, but the expense of of what? You know, uh, how is um, how is Tyloo going to come in and work with the other guys? I mean, there's a lot of things up in the air. Uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't think, I didn't think that the Luke Walton experiment would have worked. I mean, Luke and LeBron came into the league in the same year, so that's not going to work. <laughs> uh, 
So I don't know who you get. I don't know who you bring in that's going to have the gravitas of, of being able to uh, pull LeBron out of whatever he's doing and get him on. I don't know. I don't know where you go from here is, is what I, is what I'm saying. And it's, it's, it's horrible. Uh, you know, the Lakers have been a strong franchise historically speaking, but you never felt like the players were running the ship. You know, Pat Riley was in charge. I, I've read uh, the book by Jeff Perlman on those Showtime Lakers. Uh, Pat Riley and uh, Jerry West as coach and GM, they were in charge of the Showtime Lakers. You know, there's there's talk that Magic got, oh, I can't think of the original coach's name, got him fired. Paul Westhead. Paul Westhead, yes. Uh, but the dynamic was, you know, nothing was going to happen without Jerry West signing off on it. That's, that's how things work. So I think Magic got a little bit of the blame for that just because he was vocal about it. Um, so, but there's no one there. And in, in, in LeBron does best when there's somebody within the organization, be it Ty Lue, be it, uh, I won't even say it was Eric Spolster in Miami, I would say is uh, Pat Riley there in Miami. <laughs> he needs that. And so um, that that's just kind of where I am on that, to be, to be honest with you. The first Woj bomb was about 49 minutes ago. Three or four minutes later, he says, discussions have included talks on contracts and assistant coaching staff, sources said, among Lakers' hopes on a loose staff, Jason Kidd. He made a strong impression with management in his head coaching interview and had a productive history with the Bucks developing Young talent. I saw Jason Kidd training on Twitter, and I was like, "What on earth for?" So, um, the Lakers want him, and maybe the Le- LeBron not. Uh, it's it's just crazy, you know. Like you said, dysfunctional is the way. Um, what's Genie and them gonna do? Uh, just just crazy seeing them like this. And and with Magic kind of walking uh, out like that, it's just just weird. Has he tweeted about this yet? Or has he tweeted about the Rockets and Golden State? Because he's he's got time now. He's free to do that. Well, and and the thing is, I think I talked about it when this happened. Magic wants to be Magic. And being Magic Johnson – Ordinarily, if you're president of the Los Angeles Lakers, that's a pretty good gig. There's not a lot of gigs out there in North America that are better than that. You know, like working the front office with the Yankees or something. There's there's a few gigs. But being Magic Johnson is one of those gigs. And Magic, uh, you know, with, with, with Magic, he wants to be magic. I mean, he can't be magic if, you know, 
if he's tied down to being the president of Lakers. So I thought he was going to be all in. He decided he didn't want to be. He wanted to still be Magic Johnson. So I don't know where they go from here. I've talked about this since we started this show. You've got to have a plan. Your front office has to have a plan on – you know what, uh, a short-term and a long-term plan, and it just seems like over the last five to six years, the Lakers have just been scrambling. Uh, they're fortunate enough to, to to have LeBron drop in their laps, but they've got to do something because another non-playoff year. I mean, that's. I think at that point, the Laker faithful will will turn. Uh, so there's got to be something that they've got to do, and they've got to do it really quick. Jason McIntyre used to be of a big lead. Was replying to a dude that said to him, "This is insane. You think the Lakers would respect their head coaching choice enough to let him pick his own staff? Lou is no rookie coach." He says Jeannie Buss and Kurt Rambis's wife are pushing back against LeBron having the show be entirely his. That's their, quote, air quotes, fear if uh, if Tyrone Lewis is hired, that LeBron, like, you would just be able to run everything. So, <laughs> so many dynamics and drama. And I wouldn't imagine to put that tweeted out after a few days after he left that, Y'all will see, or it's all about to come out, or, or something like that. To the effect of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I just like, y'all will see I'm what I'm talking Twitter about. It, it's just I don't know. I, I mean, this is the frustrating thing for me as a Lakers fan. I would argue that for 50 years, this was the best run franchise in sports. I mean, this was – they were the pinnacle. And it's just been – not only has the on-the-court been bad, off-the-court has been bad. Ever since Daddy Bus died, the Lakers have just been a mess. That is just – it's just mind-boggling how bad they have been. And I don't know if that's just the universe balancing out their luck in getting, you know – the draft rights to Magic and the draft rights to James Worthy and getting uh, uh, Kareem for a bag of beans, getting Wilt for a goat, getting <laughs> getting uh, 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 Shaq and, and, and being able to uh, to move Divac to get Kobe. Maybe this is the universe straightening all that out, right? Uh, so, uh, but I don't I don't know where they go from here. I, I honestly, I don't uh, I don't know. Yeah, unbelievable. So, just saw those nuggets floating around on social media, and like, yes, the playoffs are, are are going on, but you know, this still will dominate <laughs> some portion of the NBA on TNT tonight or on ESPN because the Lakers are like that. You know, they are that big. You know, Magic Johnson's abrupt. Uh, ending of his tenure as team president, and we saw how that just sucked the life out of everything else that was going on in the league. You know, Lakers had had nothing happening. You know, there were teams fighting for playoff spots. I think it was the last night of the season. 
Uh, everybody was scoreboard watching to see who's going to be the eight seed or who's going to be the four and who's going to be the five, who's going to have home court, who's going to have this and that. Magic says, um, I'm, I'm stepping down. Boom. The record kind of skidded to a stop, and that's where all the focus went. So if they work something out with Ty Lue here in the next little bit or tomorrow – or something that will still be just as newsworthy as, you know, game five with the Rockets Warriors, uh, game six with Portland and Denver, you know, Boston getting eliminated if that happens, the Lakers, whatever they're doing, it's going to rank right up there with what the playoff teams are doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't know. It's 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 sad. We've talked about it because the Lakers have pretty much been bad since uh, since we've been on. You know, it's been a long time since we've been in the in the playoffs. So uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm with all my other Lakers fans just trying to figure this out. Absolutely. And we'll get to get to Paul Pierce in a minute, but let's go on and stick with the Lakers theme. Um, and, and and dive into what Matt Kellerman was talking about when he said, and I saw your tweet. I I saw tweets about when Max Kellerman lost all his credibility. Max Kellerman gets paid seven figures to say stuff like this. Let, you know, sign me up. But I hadn't actually seen the clip. And I saw you quote it with a whoa, buddy, when Jay Williams nailed him to the wall about his thoughts on Kawhi Leonard and Kobe Bryant. So you being a Lakers fan, you know, Magic is your guy, but you definitely enjoyed Kobe's time there. Got to get your thoughts on the whole Kobe-Kawhi thing uh, that, you know, the bombs that Max was dropping and embarrassing himself with. Well, yeah, I'm a Kobe guy. I'm a Lakers guy. Magic is my one. Kobe is my two. Just as my favorite players. The strange phenomenon is whenever somebody does something, Kobe is the comparison all of a sudden. Like, I understand you're going to have your LeBron versus MJ chatter. I get that. Uh, but, but Kobe was very, very good. His biggest flaw was he wasn't Michael Jordan. I mean, that's basically it. When you look at historical two guards, either Kobe is two or three. Which is which is very very good uh, to say Kobe isn't clutch is ridiculous uh, because once Shaq got out of town and you know I, I think Kobe would first want to tell you that he was part of that once Shaq left he had to carry the franchise and that's what he wanted and that's what he did and and. This is what Kyrie Irving is finding out. Carrying a franchise on your back is not easy. It's easy to be the man on an 18-win Cleveland Cavaliers team. It's easy. It's hard when it's championship or bust. That's what the Lakers, that's what the Lakers organization has been. That's what the Celtics are this year. Wherever LeBron goes, that's been the standard since he went to his first finals in 2007. So, with that, 
there's going to be a lot demand of you when the game is on the line to be clutch, to take those shots, you know. And Kobe has done his fair share. Has he missed a lot? Absolutely he's missed some. You know, I've talked about his 06 playoffs uh, when he didn't shoot at all, you know, against uh, Phoenix. But to say he's not clutch just defies belief. And to say that Kawhi Leonard, who was a phenomenal ball player, and I believe he was an NBA Finals MVP, I I, I get that. Uh, But he doesn't have those those winning shot moments, those winning play moments, those, those moments that get burned into your brain of what of, of a great player, he he probably will, but he didn't. Uh, he, he he doesn't have that quite yet. So, it, it, what I found funny was, look, you can we can sports is subjective. I get it, I get it. You're gonna lean uh, this way. I'm gonna lean this way. I, I get that. But if I say to you, Vinny, why are the Cowboys a better organization than the 49ers? And your eyes get wide, and you say, uh, and then you pivot to something else. Stop. And that's what Kellerman did. He said, Kawhi's more clutch than Kobe. And Jay Williams said, okay, how? What? Where's your proof? And he said, well, show you know, and he said, yeah, he said, show me. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, he's still there. Yeah. So I just okay. Yeah. You know, you know, Kobe and, and people like to bash him, and 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 the thing is, uh, and I wrote I read uh, I, I wrote about this when he retired. I like Kobe, and, and not to, to to belabor this point, because Kobe is the most human of the superstars, and I say that he's kind of a jerk. He is the best worker in your office that wants the extra. And it's, I, I compared it to, you know, people complain, hey, Kobe takes long lunch breaks. The boss says, hey, Kobe, you're taking too long lunch breaks. So instead of an hour and a half, he takes a two-hour lunch break. That's what that 2006 <laughs> <laughs> final uh, playoff performance was. That's all it was. And I get that. And I'm like, you've got to be a special person to, like, kick away a playoff series to prove a point to your teammates, the coaches, and the fans. And that's what he did. And I get that. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying I understand it. So I get that. Uh, but but the, the, the constant dog pound, you know, Kobe and, and this, I, look, I'm a Kobe fan. And I admit he, he's, that, he's that second tier. And I think we may talk about those those tiers of superstars in a little bit. Uh, and and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being a top 15 player of all time. That's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. And that's kind of where Kobe is. Kawhi has to get there. Yeah, and, and, he's, and he's rolling now. He's playing great. Um, you know, he, he baptized and beat a little bit and, and then dunked on two Sixers at a different point in the game. He is 
a finals MVP. I think, yeah, he was a finals MVP in San Antonio, you know, before uh, landing on Petunia's foot with that closeout against the Warriors. And then the drama and the back and forth with the I'm not healthy, the Spurs think I'm healthy, and all that before he got traded to Toronto. So he's an elite player. Nobody's saying he isn't, but just to go ahead and leapfrog him over Kobe, it was what was just jaw-dropping. And, you know, I don't watch all the debate shows, but, you know, it was just surprising to hear Max come with that and, and stick with it and die on that hill and then, you know, get faked out of his jock when he was asked to prove it. <laughs> and people get it twisted, okay? Well, they, you know, they say, well, you know, Kobe had Shaq. That's true. My thing is, go to the tape. Shaq was three was three quarters, three and a half quarters of dominance. And then Kobe was the closer. Number one, Shaq couldn't hit his free throws. So the offense in those those that three peat in close games could not go through Shaq. Okay, look, I'm telling you, look at these stats. I forget what final. I think it was the 2001 uh, playoff run. Shaq averaged 34. Kobe averaged 32. Okay, this isn't like you know Trent Dilfer and the Ravens. Or you know this or Ben uh, Roethlisberger his first run uh, with the with the Bucks in that defense Kobe was an active participant in the three piece. Don't get it twisted. Did he benefit from having Shaq? Absolutely. Did Kawhi benefit from having Tim Duncan, who many people and this person right here would say is the best power forward of all time? Yes, absolutely. Even Tim with some age on him was a great, great person to have out to, to, to you know, so, uh, so Leonard could do his thing. So we need to stop saying, well, he just had, you know, he had prime Shaq. Yeah. Okay. You know, but, <laughs> but honestly, uh, Kobe did a lot. So you know, I don't need to, 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 to trumpet his credentials, but we got to stop just saying, oh, you know, Kobe, Kobe was trash. There's a difference between not being Michael Jordan and being trash. There's a there's a huge gray area to live in. For sure, for sure. You uh, before we get to that tier, you referenced Kyrie Irving and what he's trying to do, or how he wants to be the dude, but then. You know, don't want to answer questions about it. I don't want to have all of the negatives or full scope of responsibilities that come with that. Um, you know, in Boston, where they haven't just never came together like they thought. Uh, you know, they went to the conference finals without Hayward and Kyrie. You got Tatum and Gary Terry and Aaron Baines and, you know, kind of just a 
a whole second unit, second, a whole second tier group of dudes out there giving LeBron all they wanted in the conference finals. And so you think, man, you know, Danny Ainge still got all these trades. And, man, wait till you add the reinforcements of Gordon Hayward and and Kyrie Irving. Oh, my God, the sense is going to be nasty. And it just has never fit. Uh, you know, Kyrie's had his moments with uh, where you need to ask Brad when he was kind of having to get some tough questions during the season. They get spanked by Milwaukee. Now that, and we got to segue to the truth. Win game one, blow them out by 20, and then they've lost the next three. They're on the brink of elimination tonight. And Kyrie, who said you're not going to see me go 8 for 22 again, go 7 for 22. They go down three games to one. He's asked about it, and he says, oh, 22 shot. I should have shot 30 because I'm that great a shooter. <laughs> this is this is him wanting to be the dude and just oblivious to the fact that, you know, he pretty much shot him out of the game and was regretting that he didn't get up more shots. Uh, defensively, they were a swinging gate. Uh, you know, all that cutting off the pain against, you know, Giannis in the first games and, and locking everything down, that is not working anymore. And all the Bucks are just waltzing through the lane, doing whatever they wanted to do. You know, I mean, <laughs> this is a, this is you know, be careful what you wish for. You wanted to be away from LeBron. You wanted to be the man. Uh, you know, and he's not really up for it. You know, you, you know Charles Barkley said it on TNT. He said, <laughs> uh, he said nobody ever says. Mark West and Cedric Sabalas didn't win a championship. He said, when you the superstar, he said, everybody says Charles Barkley didn't win a championship. That's what you have to be willing to take. And Kyrie's not really wanting to take that part of being the top dude. That's the, that's the issue, right, is what I was talking about earlier. When you're, you talk about clutch guys, again, the point is uh, – Guys, okay. Uh-oh. Hell. There you are. The, am I there? There you are. There you are. Okay. Yeah. I tell you, I get some dead spots in this house. But um, <laughs> so, as <laughs> great as Stockton Malone are, or were, we just remember them coming up short. That's what it is. They get that. Byron Russell doesn't. That's just part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes, like I said, the, the, the grass isn't always greener. And I, I think that Kyrie is, is understanding is uh, what I touched on earlier. You can be the man on a 20-win Cleveland Cavaliers team. That's fine. <laughs> we, we, we've seen that. You know, we know you can do that. But when, you're, uh, <laughs> when your goal is NBA Finals and to win, it's different. The questions you get asked are different. 
you know, you and I have covered games. And it's it's different when uh, you know, I've covered some uh, regular season games, some big games. So one press conference. Let me tell you, after the Tennessee game and SEC tournament, that's a totally different conversation, right? Mm-hmm. You want to be the man. And, look, I'm not saying that Kyrie was bad for wanting to get out of LeBron's shadow. I get it. I get it. But now that, to quote Pat Forty, now that you've made your bed, you got to lay down in it now. You've you got to understand that, hey, this isn't always, you know, the grass isn't always greener. And I think all kinds of examples of, of guys leaving great situations. Uh, I think I guess before, you're a Cowboys guy who was great, very, very good playing out at Michael Murphy. That, 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 that picture you referenced with Charles Haley with Steve Young in the mud at Candlestick, that was Alvin Harper torched the 49ers. Yeah. We went on to the Super Bowl. And then, hey, I'm going to take the money. I'm going to be a, a wide receiver number one. It ain't the same, son. <laughs> it ain't the same, man. When Especially when you've got a great person that demands everybody else's attention. That allows you to flourish. But then you've got to explode every single it, it It's different. It, it, it is different. One thing, since we're talking about the self, because I got a lot of feedback, and I think you might have been confused on the uh, analogy I was making. I said the Boston Celtics are to the NBA what UCLA is to I got a lot of feedback on this one. And let me explain what I mean by that. Both UCLA and Boston have the most championships in their respective leagues. But for Boston, one title since 1986. For UCLA, one since 1975. That's 40 years, 30 years, and counting for Boston in one title. Be close, but if you're UCLA and you're Boston, close ain't gonna get it done. They haven't just one title in 40 years. That is a that is a lot. And when it comes to Boston, <laughs> Paul Pierce, who I know we're gonna talk about, they act like the 2008 Boston Celtics were a dynasty, and that's simply <laughs> not the case. They 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 were a very good team that year. And I, I mean, look, they they spanked my Lakers, but they got good before LeBron got real good. They still had young LeBron to, to feast on. You know, they hit that window between the uh, Pistons getting old and LeBron getting really good. So, but they all it's like huge. Kind of in and out. Coming in and out a little bit. Okay. Is this better? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, we got a little spotty when you're talking about the Pistons. So, so, so the Celtics kind of hit that sweet spot uh, between when the Pistons got old and before LeBron really got going. Uh, But for two proud teams and fan bases and franchises, they have really – both teams have really been struggling here lately. 
Yeah. Now, to play devil's advocate, look, I'm no fan of the Celtics. I'm not making excuses. No fan of LSU. I mean, UCLA. No fan of the Lakers. And look, none of them need to win nothing else as far as I'm concerned. But as far as Boston, it took – and, look, they made some bad decisions, too. Look, Tino Howard didn't work, and, you know, they hoped to get – before we mentioned Tim Duncan, they hoped to get Tim Duncan uh, to be able to help them, you know, continue to be elite. That didn't happen either. It took a couple tragedies. You know, we talk about Lynn Bias and Reggie Lewis, which definitely helped keep that championship drought. Uh, maybe they they don't win if those gentlemen don't pass. Uh, UCLA doesn't even have that excuse. And I'm not defending Boston by bringing up, you know, the tragic passing of Reggie Lewis and Lynn Bias. But in a perfect world, Larry Bird passes the torch to Lynn Bias. Maybe they don't dip. Uh, maybe they're not even in position to draft a Paul Pierce if Bias is there. Who knows? But they definitely have had a long decades, you know, a long line of lean years. Like you mentioned, one since 86. That is not Boston Celtics like. Maybe it's the universe balancing for them <laughs> like it is for your Lakers right now because when they won eight in a row and 11 and 13 years with Kuzi and Russell and Havlicek and Sam Jones and Casey Jones and all those legends, and rest in peace to John Havlicek, too, who just passed a couple weeks ago. But I'm just saying, they, I've got to factor in those couple of tragedies when talking about how much futility they have had, but I'm not making an excuse. But it, you know, it, it did happen. Absolutely, and I understand that. And things things happen, but look, when it comes to UCLA, we started the NCAA tournament in 1939. Between 1939 and 1979, those 40 years, UCLA won 10 titles. 10 titles. Mm-hmm. And the 40 years since, what? <laughs> That's true. I mean, you, you, you look at Boston. Uh, you know, they won 16 of the first 40. You know, it, it, That's it, ridiculous. Only one. That is. That is ridiculous for sure. To, uh. See the well dry up for both of those teams to that extent. And when you break it down, like CB just did, be right back with us. When you break it down, 39 to 79, 79 to 2019, that is, that really puts it into perspective. You know, 10 titles in 40 years. Every four years, UCLA averaged the title. You know, when John Wooden strung together those ten titles while he was there uh, as the head coach of UCLA, when you're getting 
Kareem and Bill Walton and Jamal Wilkes and, you know, the, the players that they had during that time, unbelievable. 39-79, to 79, 10 titles in those 40 years. From 79 to the present, they only have the one in 1995 that they won with Jim Herrick and Toby Bailey and, and Ed O'Bannon and that team the year after Arkansas won it. That's that is pretty bleak for a blue blood like UCLA. One title in forty years. And they did get to a couple final fours, lost to Florida when Florida was going back to back. they had a little bit of a run. But for UCLA standards that is you know, what a stark contrast. One in forty years in the previous forty years to have 10 in 40 years, a title every four years, that is insane. And, and that is, when, when people broke it down like that, that put it into amazing perspective. One title in our lifetime. We're both 41 years old, and their only title was in 1995. Just picking up where you left off. And the way you broke it down in those two 40-year halves, 39 to 79, 79 to the present, Ten titles in the first forty, one in the second forty. That is that is insane, and uh, unbelievable amount of futility for a blue blood like UCLA, the all-time title-winning this program in NCAA history. Yeah, and, and that's all I was saying. Uh, you know, and I had a lot of pushback on that, so I had to explain it in some other tweets, and I thought I'd touch on it here. Yeah, yeah. Oh. The truth, we we can't look. Paul Pierce can't get out of his way, his own way, when it comes to his comments as an analyst, and that's kind of hard to do. You know, you anybody can kind of get on there and say anything as an ex-player. Charles Barkley has been doing that his entire career at TNT. You get on there and say what you want to say, brutally honest. Look, Emmy award-winning, everybody loves him. <laughs> I think that's what Charles, uh, Paul Pierce is trying to do, but it's just not working. He takes a stand, going to be blunt, going to be bold, and just shoot straight fire, and it just blows up in his face every time. I just wrote about his comments about Dwayne Wade on Karen Mills Radio. Uh, he hunkered down and said, oh, easy, it's me, it's me. I had the better career. We just finished talking about that. And that went right up there with his wheelchair game in the finals. And now – we just mentioned how Boston went into Milwaukee and won, you know, one twelve to ninety, and shut down Giannis, and looked really good. And it was a statement win. You can't say that it wasn't. For you know, Milwaukee won sixty games, and everybody's still kind of wondering, well, is this, you know, are they really going to be a number one seed? The Pistons, that wasn't really that much of a test. Blake Griffin was dragging one leg around. They were a wounded eight seed. No challenge for the Bucks. Now he told Boston, let's see how they stack up. And Boston goes in there and pumps them by 20. And so you're getting, oh, okay, Boston's finally who we thought they were going to be. And the Bucks are maybe not what we've been hyping them to be. And Paul Pierce TV says it's over. He calls series after game one, and now his beloved Celtics are on the brink of elimination. This 48 minutes away from, you know, the next gone fishing on TNT. 
and, and Paul Pierce is becoming that guy. Uh, he, he's he's taken some L, and, and it's one of those things where uh, let's not get it twisted. He was a very very good player, very good, and I don't want that to get kind of lost in the shuffle here as his playing career kind of fades into the background. He was a great player. But I I think – how do I say this? He's got to understand where he fits in. And he can't be the next Charles Barkley because he's not Charles Barkley. You know, he he, he can't come from this, I know what it takes to win a championship – uh, he can't. He can't do that. He, he doesn't have that gravitas. And for him to be so adamant that the series was over, they don't love you like that, Paul Pierce. They don't love you like that. So I just thought. Uh, exactly. I just thought that was fine. Yeah, yeah. And I, but it just <laughs> it just keeps happening, though. That's the thing. That's the thing, you know. He just he can't win for losing from a commentary standpoint, you know. This and this is totally separate, like you said, from his his career. You know, he 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 ended the twenty plus year drought back in '08 that Boston had, and but but from it as an analyst, and look, the thing about it, <laughs> Chelsea Billups and Jalen Rose and Michelle Beadle too. They all try to like. Like, dude, really? They try to they try to talk him off of some of these points, and he's not having it. So, I mean, that just makes it even worse. Yeah, and, and he just keeps setting himself up to get dunked on. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, we talked some Derby. We talked some Paul Pierce. We talked U.K. softball, U.K. baseball. Um, squeezed in quite a bit over uh, the first hour and change of the show. Got a couple guests tentatively scheduled for next week. We got friend of the show, Justin Rowland, scheduled. You know, somebody who is all up in the recruiting because we might have some Yahtzees and some moving and shaking between now and next Wednesday. Always fun talking to Justin because the dude has just got so much knowledge. Uh, he always brings it and always graciously comes on the show. And tentatively, tentatively texting uh, dude from the West Coast, Noel Harris, covers the Kings for the Sacramento Bee. Have him on and talk Darren Fox, Willie Collie Stein. The coaching change that Vlade elected to make the Sacramento uh, and any new news regarding the Kings and that comes out between now and then, and also get his thoughts on the playoffs. So looking forward to that um, as well. Your thoughts on the playoffs thus far? You know, I'm going to be up late tonight again. we got game five, Rockets and Warriors. This time last week, Houston was down 2-0 and – Struggling, as Joe, uh, Joe Namath said in his interview with, with Susie Cover that time on the sidelines. Battle back, got themselves back into the series, protected home court. We're back in Oakland for game five. All four games, 
know, could have gone either way. Houston was in those games in Oakland. Golden State, of course, was right there in those games in Houston. And Houston had a big lead in game three, and it got whittled down really quick. You had Kevin Durant and Steph Curry with squeaky clean, squeaky clean looks to tie the game, and, and both of them just happened to miss. In game three, and we might as well hit this a little bit, you had Clay Thompson miss a short corner baseline jumper wide open, and you had Steph Curry come through and miss a left-handed layup that he makes 99 times out of 100. And then the next time down, come down and try to cram one, and the rim wasn't happening. So those are some little tense moments where Houston got the wins, but whoo. You know, for Steph and Clay, Steph and KD to miss those looks they got at the end of game three that could have tied it since overtime, it's like Austin Rivers said. He basically assumed overtime when he saw both of those guys raising up with those looks uh, because you can't ask for a better look and you can't be nervous. And, you know, those are looks you don't want them to take and in-the-game situations, and Houston dodged two bullets with them missing them. So, game five tonight, does Boston live to fight another day? And your thoughts on game five in Oracle TV? Uh, I, I think I think Boston's done. Uh, uh, part of it, and this, I, I forget who I was uh, tweeting. Uh, I can't remember who it was now. Um, what we've seen with uh, Brad Stevens is he's a phenomenal coach. And getting Boston to the conference finals last year without Hayward, without Kyrie, that's in his wheelhouse. We have seen him be great when he's kind of got a bunch of very good, not great players. We saw it at Butler. Obviously, we've seen it in Boston where I think he kind of lost things this year is you've got a superstar in Kyrie. Part of being a coach at this level is you've got to be able to deal with superstars. And that hasn't worked out. I think, you know, a lot of people will say, look at Bill Jackson. Well, he had Michael Jordan. He had Kobe and Shaq, okay. But the beauty of what Phil did, and it was a bunch of gobbledygook. I, I get it. The the you know the books and and all this kind of stuff. I, I get it. The, the medicine man stuff, whatever. But he let everyone know what their roles were. And I've read some Phil's wrote written a couple of books. I've read those. Was he let? Everyone knows they are part of the puzzle. And there's going to be times when your number is going to get called. Are you going to be ready? And there's one thing to have all the talent. There's another thing to coach it up. I think Boston's done. I I just don't see them. They've got this feel of – do you you remember the the, the 2013 – Wildcats that, that went to the NIT where I, I was watching that game and I said, 
they just want this to be over. Like, you know, they just they're out there. I don't think they're trying to lose, but they just want this 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 year just needs to end. Uh, you know, I think if I remember correctly, it was kind of close in in the second half there against Robert Morris, and it didn't even look like Cal was was really diagramming anything. Like, we just need to get out of here. Like, just we just need to go. Yeah, and I and and, and that's just the feeling that you have sometimes. Like, hey, we just we just need to get out of here. And I think that's where Boston is. And I think part of Boston's problem is, you know, I, I think people get traded in the NBA all the time in professional sports. That happens. But I think the way they ha- handled Isaiah Thomas is there's one thing to say, you know, nobody is untouchable. It's another thing for everybody to believe we all can be gone at some point. You mentioned Danny Age and his trades earlier. That's 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 not really how you build a team either. Is anybody can be gone, you know, at any given time. And I think that that has, has kind of come home to to roost. Plus, Giannis is playing at a high level. Chris Middleton playing at a high level. Uh, our man uh, Eric Bledsoe, the forgotten about guy. When you talk about guys that have played. Uh, at UK under Cal, uh, you know, I, I think the Bucks get it done. Uh, I, I think at home, uh, I think I think the Rockets take an L tonight. I think the the Warriors, what we have seen over this run, just when you're ready to ring that bell, they pop up like Michael Myers. So I'm not ready to say that. that but but the cracks are there. Like this, this is starting to feel like talking about teams just getting ready to be done. This feels like that 1998 Bulls team. Like this may be the last time we see these Warriors go out. Like we we mm-hmm. all knew that that in 1998 that everybody was gone. And I think SB Nation did a nice little video about that. Basically, those Bulls. Won the title two days later. Phil was gone. Like Phil was gone after <laughs> right after the parade. Like he had his box cleaned out while the parade was going on. And then Michael is gone. And and basically those bulls within like two or three weeks, everybody was gone. <laughs> I mean, Kuko uh, yeah. had been traded. I mean, it was. It, and I don't think that'll happen with the Warriors. But if you assume KD is gone. If if what we're kind of hearing that Clay Thompson doesn't like, uh, I think the quote was getting the scraps. You have to assume that's an issue. So, uh, you know, honestly, this could be that last go round. Andre Iguodala is at that point of, do I still want to do this? You know, there's a lot of things, and this could be that run where you're just okay. They may win the championship, but that's it, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of bizarre because usually you see teams kind of hang on to fight and kind of, you know, kind of peter out. You know, your Rockets, you know, they won in 95, and I think they had another deep run in 96 or 97, losing to the Jazz maybe. I have to look that up. But they had another, mm-hmm. I think, conference finals run in them, but, but that was it. And, and, and so uh, I think – uh, Warriors win. I think Bucks win to win that series. 
I, I tell you what, looking ahead, uh, you got to like what Jamal Murray has done in Denver. You got to like that. Jamal Murray has been fantastic. And for all the guys that Cal has had, wouldn't it be something that it's Jamal Murray and Eric Bledsoe kind of leading their teams to the conference finals? That's crazy. I would have put money on yeah. John Wall, on Boogie, on uh, Anthony Davis. Honestly, uh, last year you kind of had that feeling for a stretch that it was going to be Cat uh, in Minnesota when you know when they had Jimmy Butler and everything was working. So I, I love Denver. They could still make some off-season moves to to make their team even better going forward. So if this is the last run of these Warriors. You know, your your Rockets don't want to say, okay, whatever, however this series goes, you know, if, if the Warriors actually win it, if you're a Rockets fan, you can't say, well, there's next year because the West is going to be loaded again. So uh, I know you asked me who I thought was going to win tonight, and I covered it in about <laughs> So So you are – we get TV back again. Got another, another dead spot – in uh, technical difficulties, but we'll have him back uh, here in just a second. But TV is saying that that Boston is done, and he's basically, you know, he's Paul Pearson, the Celtics. You know, they are at Milwaukee, a closeout game, just got throttled in Boston. Um, The ebbs and flows would would lead you to believe that Milwaukee will get it done. Milwaukee's smelling blood. Milwaukee can go for that KO. They don't want to go back to Boston for uh, for game six. Uh, put them out of their misery at home when they uh, went and were able to get two games in Boston. Not just, you know, uh, the one, you know, get a split, you know, because Boston went and got that game in Milwaukee, took game one, and Milwaukee bounced back, you get the split. But Milwaukee goes to Boston and takes two to go up three to one. And now Boston traveling to Milwaukee, closeout game, down three one. So, TB, you are Paul Pearson in the Celtics. You're saying it is over for the Celtics. And Milwaukee's not trying to go back to Boston for Game Six, so you Paul Pierce in Boston tonight. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I know Boston can win, <laughs> and they probably have more talent. Oh, the Milwaukee, the Milwaukee's—they're—you they're, want to do in the NBA series is let the role players get going, and if you're going to let Chris Middleton, Middleton get hot, if you're going to let Pat Connaughton. <laughs> dunk all over you. <laughs> that gets those role players going. <laughs> so yeah, that that that's a tough way to go. Hey, he did swat Scary Terry's three, and then they hit him on the run out, and and he did get a, a nice little flush. And speaking of the role players, you mentioned you know you know Connors and George Hill played great. Uh, sound like Charles Barkley. George Hill played great. Sutter played great. Um. They, in addition to what they already got going, you know, with, with Middleton, who is who is a quiet, great 
quietly have him becoming a, a really good player. You know, it'd be interesting to see if he stays in Milwaukee or whatever. But in addition to everything Milwaukee has, they're working Malcolm Brogdon, who's been out forever. He has been upgraded from, I think, you know, doubtful to probable or questionable. He could possibly play tonight. So they're getting deeper and getting another guy back. And he, you know, remember him from Virginia, a young guy, was starting to play well for the Bucks when he was out with a foot injury. So that's all Boston needs. You know, they Milwaukee's at the point where they're working in a guy who hasn't played in forever, up 3-1, just making them deeper and more versatile once he knocks the rust off. So, yeah, that's, that's uh, that's not really a, a good situation for the Celtics. No, and like I said, you, they, they've kind of set the stage for for all this. They just look like a team that doesn't. They don't like each other, which they, everybody needs to be buddy buddy. But there's just, mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just a weird vibe. And uh, you know, I, I tweeted this out too. When they got booed off the court there in Boston. <laughs> I know I'm a bitter Lakers fan. But uh, I wish I could have made that sound my ringtone. The sound of the Celtics <laughs> getting booed in Boston. Oh, man. Absolutely. Dave McMenamin on Twitter. Kyle and his reps turned down the Lakers offer today, or Tuesday, per league sources. Uh, LA Lakers regrouped with an offer in the range of three years and $18 million today. Lou's side pulled out of negotiations. Lou's camp was seeking a five-year deal with salary commensurate with his championship resume. So it is over. Ty Lue is moving on, and Lakers still are searching. Yeah, it, 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 it is crazy. It, 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 it goes back, and I just retweeted what uh, Bomani Jones just put out. When Daddy Bus died, and he was in poor health, and they kind of mortgaged everything on old Steve Nash and Dwight Howard, that was the beginning of the end. That was the this is this this is this this was a panic move, and the Lakers are still recovering from that. Mhm, yeah you're you're right, you are right now. Shifting to members and other favorite players of yours in different sports, Ketchum Slander, this whole Randy Moss, Jerry Rice stuff, I, I know you're seeing it, and I know, you know, I'm sure it's just getting all on your nerves. Um Fitzgerald, I think Kellerman said Fitz maybe is a Hall of Famer. But all these debate and people saying is Randy Moss better than Jerry Rice. I know you just got to love seeing that in addition to the Kobe Kawhi stuff. Like I said, a lot of personal slander stuff that affects you for as far as your favorite teams and favorite players are concerned. be back. You know, just crazy to see, you know, who's better, Randy Moss, Jerry Rice. The, retweet the, the answer. for Jerry Rice is like for Randy Moss. Go ahead, man. I hear you now. Uh, yeah. 
Jerry Jerry Rice is the best. Like I don't care how you chop it up. Jerry Rice is the best. Period. And I'll be the first person to say I think that Randy Moss is most is more talented than Jerry Rice. Cause, but Rice was never the fastest. He didn't have the best hands. He whatever you want to say. But the point is his numbers are so far better than everybody else's. You have to look at it. Well, he played with Joe Montana. He played with Steve Young. True. But you and I are old enough to remember the game then in the mid, in the late 80s uh, and into the 90s was different. Tom Brady's worst or lowest season for attempts, Joe Montana never came close to that. So that's what it's all about. Yeah, and like I was trying to figure, I was looking at 1,549 catches. Uh, I don't know. Like, targets weren't even a thing until, like, 1992. Jerry Rice gets credited for 1,640 targets. But, like, six or seven years, they didn't even keep targets as a stat. So, um had to figure out what his average was in those first six or seven years. <clears throat> but 1,640 targets from 1992 into the rest of his career. Because at first I was like, wow, he only dropped 91 passes in his career, which would have been an insane catch ratio or percentage of targets caught. But from like 85 to 91, there uh, weren't any records of targets, kind of like an NBA. You know, for those years, they weren't keeping – stats for what Chambers block shot. Kind of the same thing. But 1,549 catches. Uh, insane. And that is it's still low. Like I said, the game has changed. Um, be like looking at Larry Bird's three-point attempts compared to all the threes that get shot now the way teams are so much more focused on passing, high-powered, get the ball down the field, short passes, you know, kind of taking the place of the runs. Uh, back then, you know, TV and I know, you still had bona fide running attacks. You still had running backs getting lots of carries. You know, Terry mentioned the passing attempts, how much lower they were. Back then, just like three-pointers are now, and Larry Bird played today and was able to just chuck up as many threes as they happen now, his numbers would go up. You had a Roger Craig who was getting touches, handoffs. You had Tom Raffin, they throw a bone every now and then. So they were still balanced. They were still running the ball. Jerry Rice's targets and receptions would be crazy if you just, pulled him and Montana Young and put them in to the way the game is played today. And, you know, he get a free release off the line <laughs> and not have so many physical DBs to deal with. As bad as I hate him and the Niners, imagine what he could have done in this era. Yeah, and so when it comes to Jerry Rice 
and, and, and Randy Moss, and, and this pops up every now and then. It, it does. Uh, you have to add in longevity as well. He was a Pro Bowl receiver at 40. And you throw that in with Randy Moss, who himself said he took plays off. I mean, he, he, he said that. He kind of took a season off out there in Oakland. Jerry didn't do we that. Can't blame him. <laughs> well, yeah, in Oakland. But, and, but Randy Moss is Oakland, but Jerry Rice is Oakland. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, yeah, and, and, and I'm, I'm totally coming from an unbiased or a very biased point of view here. I'm my, my email, my everything I have involves the number 80. Jerry Rice is my guy. I think I've said this before. You come into my home right now. I don't have a lot of pictures on the wall, but I got Jerry Rice hanging up from his Hall of Fame induction. So I'm not coming from a very rational place with this. And my whole thing is if someone was close to Jerry Rice, as far as complete, you know, his career numbers. If somebody was close, I could maybe say this, but look at the numbers. It is so wide. It is so, the gulf is so wide. You could, Larry Fitzgerald is going to the Hall of Fame. I don't know who said he wasn't, but that's dumb. He's going. If you took Larry Fitzgerald and added Lynn Swan, you're just a little bit, more than Jerry Rice. That is two Hall of Fame careers. Okay. And and even though this era of we're throwing the ball 50 times a game and these guys putting up these ridiculous numbers, no one is going to come close to his numbers right now. Like, it's just not going to happen. You know, we have seen in our lifetime, Dan Marino put up all these passing numbers. Well, then Peyton Manning broke it. Well, then Drew Brees broke it. And Tom Brady broke it. And Aaron Rodgers will probably break it. We're not going to see that probably with Emmitt's rushing record and Jerry's receiving record. We're, the, we're not going to see that. Those records are going to stay. And Jerry is so far ahead of everybody else, it, because people, oh, you know, he just, because uh, Randy Moss made spectacular catches. I give you that. I love watching Randy Moss play. But this notion that, that Jerry couldn't run and, and wasn't a great route runner, if you say, <laughs> if you say that Deion Sanders was the best cover corner in NFL history, and a lot of people say that. I think it's true. And he, in an interview, said, Jerry Rice, best receiver I ever had to cover. He said, I couldn't shut him down. Every time I did X, he had a counter move. There's a whole YouTube video on them going head-to-head, Jerry uh, in San Francisco, Dion in Atlanta, Dion in Dallas. Look it up. On top of that, the NFL Network ranked football players in NFL history. Jerry Rice was number one. Number one. They invented 
yards after the catch as a metric for what Jerry Rice was doing in San Francisco. It's like Deacon Jones and the sack. Like, what this guy's doing is so great, we need to quantify this somehow. That's not Terry Brown saying it. That's what John Gruden is saying. That's what all these people are saying. So you don't have to take my word for it. You can say, oh, the numbers are out this, and, and Terry, he's just your guy. That ain't just me saying it. That, that's football set people saying, look at what he's done. So I'm off my soapbox. You had to know that was coming, right? Yeah. And look, I rooted as hard against Rice as anybody, you know, being a Cowboys fan, you know, being you know, fans of the poor NFC West, you know, outside of San Francisco, I'm sure they rooted hard against them too. But, like, the dumbest tweet I saw about this today was that, well, the reason that Jerry Rice's numbers are so much better than Randy Moss's, he played six years long. How's that a knock? That's <laughs> been durable uh a detriment. How are you going to penalize somebody for that? Uh, that was one of the most senseless ones. And, look, I'm not a Jerry Rice fan, a 49ers fan. I respect him, but that's it. But I'm still, like, this This is ridiculous that all this, you know, just gibberish that's come out about this and people trying to stir up some kind of comparison and debate, it's, it's ridiculous. And this is coming from a Cowboys okay. fan in the heat of the 90s, who, you know, when they were at their peak battling each other. So that's about the highest compliment I can give. Okay. This is the last thing I'm going to say. Randy Moss played from 1998 to 2012. Okay. He had 982 catches for 15,000 yards and 156 touchdowns. Jerry, right, in one less season, from 1985 to 1998, more than 200 more catches, two, little over 2,500 more yards, and eight more touchdowns. Oh, and you're probably thinking, but wait, wait, Randy Moss, he was that deep threat, right? The longest touchdown of his career, 82 yards. The longest touchdown of Jerry Rice's career, 96 yards. <laughs> and that Man. is Jerry. That is Jerry Rice only in San Francisco. This isn't the first wow. whole season he had in Oakland. This is just San Francisco. So when people say, oh, Jerry Rice played longer, this is just the San Francisco Jerry Rice. <laughs> okay? So whatever you think you're thinking, it ain't right. And see, you got me all excited. Now I gotta, I'm going to have to do some of those Phil Jackson uh, uh, methods to calm <laughs> myself down. But I'm just, it's the same old thing. Well, Jerry Rice, yeah, yes, 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 yes. He had. Joe Montana, he had Steve Young. Yes. 
But here's the thing about that. When Randy Moss was in Minnesota, he was throwing to him first. Randall Cunningham, guess what? Pro Bowl quarterback. Dante Culpepper came in. Guess what? Pro Bowl quarterback. So he wasn't playing with bums. Were they all-time greats? No. Were they pretty darn good? Yes. So, again, I'm going to settle down. I'm going to relax. But, honestly, it, 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 it's laughable. And, and, look, they're both great. And Randy Moss put on a show. Uh, he had games where he was just dominant. But there was a, a, a game – Oh, I'm trying to think. One year, might have been 90. It was after the Super Bowl, so it might have been 96, 97. Monday Night Football against the Vikings. Jerry Rice caught like, I mean, it was like 15 catches for 200 something yards or three. Like, I had never seen a receiver that dominant before. Like, they were like he they, he was doubled up at the line, still getting open. I mean. I need to relax. Jerry Rice is the best receiver, period, bar none, period, period, end of, end of story. Yeah, and we, we knew this would be this kind of show because, like, like, like I said, it's a lot of slander that affects prominent players on your favorite teams. Kawhi Colby and here another rendition of Randy Moss. And Jerry Rice. So I knew it was it was just gonna be one of those shows where you had to had to get worked up. Um Woj says that Kurt Rambis is playing a major role in Lakers coaching search. He's emerging as a powerful voice in basketball operations. It's just one of those type of shows. Uh Kurt Rambis who as a coach didn't did not do too well. But he's leading the search. So maybe he's working with Jeannie. It's just one of those. It's a TV sports fan fandom Lakers Niners kind of show. It's just it's just the direction it went after we talked UK today. Just can help me get riled up. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> how are I think the, how are the Cubs doing? I have not looked. I know my Braves are struggling. You're a new Cubs fan, so how uh, how are they doing so far? I hadn't even checked their record or anything. Uh, they were in first place uh, in the Central. They started oh. off rocky, uh, but they won seven in a row. They had a walk-off home run by uh, Chris Bryant last night against the Marlins. They swept through uh, the Cardinals. So they have kind of righted Whoa. the ship a, a, a little bit uh, with that. But you in the Central – You've got Milwaukee, St. Louis, Chicago. One game separates the first, you know, the top three uh, teams in that division. So it's going to be a tough one. Uh, you know, I don't know how the Cubs, how this will kind of extrapolate out uh, a little bit. But uh, but right now they're they're looking pretty good. Yeah, sweeping the Cardinals because that was, you know, they were playing pretty good baseball. Um, for sure. So, yeah, there they are. Percentage points ahead of the Brewers, eight and two in their last ten games. Um, yeah, so that's that's good to see. And as bad as it's 
scenes right now for the Braves, 18 and 18. And this next two or three series is going to be brutal because they're playing the Dodgers right now out there. They never really do that well out there on the West Coast. They already took a couple L's. I think they got the Cardinals next. This is the Brewers. It's kind of a little sink or swim stretch because the next two or three series, you know, nine, ten games are against really good teams. So um, we'll see how they get through that. Maybe they can get one against the Dodgers tonight. But 18-18, only three games behind the Phillies. It feels like it's worse than that right now just because they've been kind of scuffling a little bit and they got out to a hot start and now they've cooled off a little bit. But still right there at the Phillies' heels in second place, a game and a half, game and a half ahead of the Mets. So uh, it's not as bad as it feels for us as Braves fans. And there's still a lot of season left. Now, it'll, it'll get gone quick, but right now it's still early. And, you know, somebody's going to get hot and make a run. And, you know, still a lot of time to get your legs under you, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I haven't been really paid too much attention to the, the Braves. I'm still in playoff basketball mode. Uh, I haven't switched to baseball just yet. Uh, as we've talked about, when you're a fan of a West Coast team and you're on the East Coast, it makes for some makes for some long nights. And if I'm going to stay up uh, a little bit later, I'm going to watch some playoff basketball rather than a regular season baseball game. Yeah, and tonight is another one of those nights, uh, which you know shows about over here. I'll peep in at the Bucks and the Celtics, but. Uh, it's going to be another 1047 tip or whatever for Rockets and Warriors. Uh, I am off tomorrow because I'm going to go. My youngest has his little field day stuff at school, so I'm going to take a day and watch him. So, I, it, you know, it's not like I have to fight through and, you know, go to work sleepy the next day. So, uh, get the fortune to be off. Tomorrow, but you know how we do when you you watch the West Coast stuff when the Lakers are in the playoffs and playing at home and you know tipping off at ten thirty, you stay up and watch them just like when Kentucky you know in the tournament had those nine fifty nine quote start times and then start till ten twenty five. That's where we are right now. That's what I've been doing with when Houston's playing in Oakland, same kind of thing. But we love it. We do it every year. We do it every spring. Uh, <laughs> all the way to the finals, and the season is over with. It's just you know, and and enjoy it, even though you're sleeping the next day and struggling, and you fight through it, and then you do it again the next night. <laughs> just 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 love the playoffs. That's right. For sure, for sure. Um, hadn't talked about you hooping lately. You you said you had made it to your final four. Um, were you still going in two leagues? Were you still hooping with Luke Hancock? Were you just in your age-specific league? What have been going on with you hooping? And, you know, Vince Carter's coming back, so we'll continue to hoop. So what, what have been happening with your league uh, or leagues? Well, I played in the one uh, Sundays, my old man, the 30 and up league. Uh, we made it to the Final Four, and we lost. 
uh, I forget the score now. What was that score? Because I, I, I scored, I scored sixteen. Uh, we we lost fifty four to forty two. Uh, it is never the game plan for me to be the leading scorer. That is a that is a lose lose situation if uh, if I'm the leading uh, scorer on the team. So, uh, uh, but it's fun. I enjoy that. Uh, I played last night, just kind of a pickup game. Uh, and everything, so um, I'm gonna keep going. You know, I, I you know, I, I, I mold retirement uh, a little while ago, but I decided to come back and, and and give it a go. So why the lose lose when you're the leading scorer? Were you hot? Were they feeding you? Were everybody else cold? And you were like, I gotta start shooting to try to. Why is it lose lose? That you would lean score. You just don't play that, that way. That, look, that's not my DNA. I'm not gonna go out and just shoot the lights up. Number one, I, I can't shoot that well. I, I score. I can't really shoot. It's just it's a mechanics thing. I've been working on it for 40 years. Now it kind of is what it is. So, uh, but if I've got to be your first option, that that's usually not pretty good. Uh, I like it, my playing style to, if you're looking at the, the Lakers, that three-peat, I'm Rick Fox, okay? Let me get a couple right. of points, some rebounds, and some well-timed assists. Let me let me get in where I fit in. You know, let me be <laughs> a, a Derek Fisher. Look, I'm a role player. I, you know, I, I have no dreams, of, no delusions of grandeur. But we got we were a little cold. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I got some open looks. They went in. Uh, I was able to put the ball on the floor a little bit, get to the rim a couple of times. But, uh, yeah, that, I, I, I feel comfortable saying I should not be the first option. <laughs> so, it's like, you, like, I'm not – you're not in that I'm putting you all on my back mode, you know, you roll in, be second option, and just like you said, chip in, defense, rebound, couple downs, versatile type stuff. Yeah, yeah, that that's my thing. Like, there's, you know, there's no way I should be shooting 15 times a game. That that's, and I told the guys that like this is not going to work. They're like, well, you know, we're you know we're, we're kind of struggling because we missed a lot of easy shots. We played. Uh, mm. uh, I think this team was undefeated in the league. They're really really good. We miss a lot of shots, and then uh, you know when you get down ten to fifteen points, you start pressing a little bit, and, and we started mm-hmm. pushing a lot of one shot opportunities. But you know that mm. happens. I, I'm not I'm not yeah. upset about it uh, or anything like that. Uh, you know you play hard. Little Miss was there to root me on, uh, so she yeah. uh, she she got to see me score a little bit, and. Uh, <laughs> She she keeps me humble because I you know she's sitting on the sidelines and I, I'm talking to her as I'm playing I'm having a good time and I said sweetie did you see that she said you should have been doing that all season so she keeps me humble that way she keeps me ground <laughs> what was it the other day that she said uh, something about old old I went to an old person something or another and then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Something, so she asked you about salt and pepper or something like that. What happened now? What was going on with that? So, so yeah, so last week uh, my ex took her 
to the New Kids on the Block concert. Up, it was up in Cincinnati. So oh. it's New Kids on the Block, what? Naughty by Nature, Salt and Pepper. Uh, oh man, I'm missing I'm missing somebody else. I'm, so anyway, she got a shirt for it, and she's telling me she went to this old people concert. Like I'm thinking. Oh. I'm thinking Smokey and the Miracles. You know, I'm thinking with a temptation. <laughs> <in town. laughs> I'm thinking, you know, what, what are you talking about? Uh, so she's asking me, uh, did I know about Salt and Pepper? I said, yeah. She said, yeah, they do the Push It song. I said, yeah, I know about the Push It song. She said, I really like Naughty by Nature. I said, wait a minute now. Naughty by Nature. Wait a minute. <laughs> she said, yeah, they had the PP pee wow. I said, all right, let's, we'll leave that again. <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah, I knew it was something when I saw you tweeting about her asking. Yeah, yeah, that was it. And her old people stuff is our wheelhouse stuff. I, I'm with it now. I see, yeah. Yup, yup, yup. Those that we grew up with is the quote old people show she went and saw. <laughs> yeah. But it is what it is. Uh man. Well we had fun doing our thing this evening. We had a ton of topics. It'll all be up on the podcast. iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Castbox, um, Tune In, Twelve Island Sports Radio on Thursday night, Saturday afternoon. Uh, and we'll do it all again next Wednesday. Got Justin Rowland scheduled. And, uh, of course, the Rivals.com. Everybody that follows BBN in any capacity knows what he's about. And got tentatively scheduled Noel Harris from the Sacramento Bee. Covers the Kings. Definitely have to talk about some Darren Fox and some Willie Colley-Stein. And, you know, the, the coaching change itself. Why they bringing in a new coach when they were just so close to making the playoffs? And um, now Luke Walton is there, and you know, we have to ask about all that and get caught up on that. That'll be fun as well. Um, we both write CameronMillsRadio.com, so check out different articles there. Um, the new guy, Jason Alexander, put out a cool shot clock article. And a Duke fan piece he did a few weeks ago, which is a little bit weird, but interesting at the same time. Um, so we're having fun with it. Summer's rolling along. Go root for my Rockets in a couple hours. CFTB has Paul Pierce, the Celtics, uh, trying to get another ringtone. If <laughs> you have the Kyrie and them going fishing ringtone, that's what you're hoping for tonight, <laughs> I'm sure. Absolutely. <laughs> well, man, have a great weekend. We'll see if the derby buzz dies down a little bit. Hope it quits raining. Hope your allergies calm down. And we'll have fun doing this next Wednesday, just like we did this past Wednesday. Watch tonight. Yep, thank everybody for listening. Thank you for doing what you're doing. I apologize for the technical difficulties. I don't know what's going on with my phone, but I appreciate everybody being patient. Absolutely. Everybody have a good night. This has been Catch Talk Wednesday. Benny Hardy, Terry Brown, Randall Hardy Radio Network, com. See y'all next Wednesday. <laughs>